This morning, we're blessed to have um, Greg Mark come and preach to us. And he's going to be speaking to us from 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 9. And so I'll just go through and read, turn in your Bibles with me to 2 Timothy 3, verses 1 through 9. But know this, that in the last days perilous times will come. For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying the power And for such people turn away. For of this sort are those who creep into houses and make captives of gullible women loaded down with sin, led away by various lusts, always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Now as Janus and Jambers resisted Moses, so these also resisted the truth. Men of corrupt minds, disapproved concerning the faith. But they will progress no further, for their folly will be manifest to all, as theirs also was. Should we just have a word of prayer? Our gracious Heavenly Father, we ask that you would bless the reading of your word and the preaching of your word to us this morning. Lord, speak to us as Greg comes forward and, and uh, teaches us from your word. We pray that you would draw us close to you and help us to examine our hearts as we look in that mirror. Help us not to forget what manner of persons we we really were. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, good morning. It's always a pleasure to uh, be with you. I've been teaching a little bit of um, high school and junior high, so I see some of my students over here. And so it's good to see uh, them, and it's good to see you. It's always a privilege to uh, teach God's Word. Um, you know, since uh, September 11th, uh, 2001, you know, terrorists have been a, a known and, and constant threat to our nation. Uh, terrorists are a deadly enemy uh, because of their because they're so motivated spiritually, uh, they're deeply committed in what they do, and they're hidden within our society. And that makes them a, a real danger and undetected threat. They're motivated by religious conviction. They're sacrificial even to the point of giving their lives. And they're secretly embedded within our world, within our society that we live in. Our safety depends upon discovering them before they do their destruction. In order to protect our nation, we need to detect them and recognize them, hopefully before they enter our country. And they are an enemy that doesn't wear a uniform. They don't have their own country, their own location, so they're not not easy to uh, pinpoint. And so we must unmask them before they do their damage. As great of a threat terrorists are to the world, the church is also threatened by a different kind of terrorist, a spiritual terrorist. Spiritual terrorists are also a hidden threat. They operate covertly within the church. 
They do their damage to people's lives through their teaching and through their, their uh, lifestyle, modeling their lives for others. Uh, spiritual terrorists are actually counterfeit teachers. They're actually counterfeit Christian leaders. They pass themselves off as genuine believers, uh, as, uh, as they pass themselves off as, as sincere teachers of God's word, and they embed themselves in the church and teach their heretical doctrines and live their heretical lives. And so following their example and following their teaching would actually destroy a person's life and destroy a person's soul. And so in order for the church to survive, it too must unmask counterfeits. Counterfeit teachers must be dealt with before they can actually do their damage. How should we deal with counterfeit teachers? Uh, 2 Timothy 3, 1-9 gives us three insights on how to deal with a counterfeit teacher. We must um, realize their character. We must reject their moral influence, and we must recognize their actions before they can do their harm. So let's turn back over to 2 Timothy chapter 3. We'll look at verses 1 through 9 and, and see these three insights in more detail. Uh, realizing who they are, rejecting their moral influence, and recognizing their method of operation, how they operate within the church, and how they attempt to get their way with people. So let's turn over to 2 Timothy uh, chapter uh, 3, and we'll look at verses 1 through 9. Now, 2 Timothy is, is really a wonderful book. It's one of my favorite books of the Bible. And so it, it's probably, um, it's, it's, a, it's a neat book because it really inspires Christians to carry on the Christian faith. And so the Apostle Paul wrote the book of 2 Timothy. And he wrote it to his dear son in the faith, uh, Timothy. And so Paul, Paul is uh, incarcerated now. He's in jail. Hopefully Pastor Joe is not going to find himself in some <laughs> prison in Southeast Asia. But the Apostle Paul is in jail again, uh, at least for the second time in Rome. And so when Paul went to a city, he didn't ask where the hotel was. He asked where, what the accommodations were at the jail. And so he was arrested so many times. But this time, uh, Paul will not get out. And so sadly, he's come to the end of his ministry and to the end of his life. And so he really needs to communicate to Timothy that he needs to carry on the Christian faith. That Timothy needs to do the work of evangelists. That Timothy is to hang on to the Christian truth and not be intimidated by persecution or by perversion within the church. And Timothy has a, a tough job for him to do. And so Paul writes this letter to encourage a person who perhaps... Um, by nature is a timid person who nature is, is a shy, um, reluctant person. And so I, I really like uh, Second Timothy, and it's an inspiring letter for all Christians that, that we need to hang on to God's truth and continue to do God's ministry and be faithful no matter what the consequences, whether it be persecution or uh, people not understanding what we do for, what we, for any reason. But this is a neat book. As, as we get to chapter 3, Paul has given um, Timothy instructions in, previously in chapter 2 on how to deal with false teaching and false teachers. Let's take a look at chapter 2 real quick and, and see some of these instructions. In verse 14 of chapter 2, Paul says to Timothy, uh, keep reminding them of these things. Warn them before God about, against quarreling about words. It is of no value and only ruins those who listen. And here he's talking about quarreling about uh, needless speculations about spiritual things. 
Uh, verse 16 continues that, that thought. It says, avoid godless chatter. Okay, Timothy, don't get caught up in these uh, speculations. Why? Verse 16 says, because those who indulge in it will become more and more ungodly. And so your teaching affects your theology, and your theology affects your thinking, and your thinking affects your lifestyle. How you think determines how you live, and Timothy is not, gonna, not to get caught up in, in false teaching. Let's look at uh, verse 23 of chapter 2. Further instructions on how to deal with false teaching and false teachers within the church. It says, verse 23, Don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments, because you know they produce quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not quarrel. Instead, he must be kind to everyone, able to teach, not resentful. Verse 25, those who oppose him, he must gently instruct in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth, and that they will come to their senses and escape from the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. And so here, when the truth is being opposed, it's been opposed by people who have been taken captive by the devil's thoughts, the devil's theology. And so here, Timothy is to deal gently with people, to have compassion on them, to keep instructing them, keep teaching them, in hope that God will grant them a change of mind, a change of repentance from their ways. Because they're actually entrapped by their ideas, by their untruths and their false thinking. And this trap comes from the devil who takes people captive to do the devil's will. And so how you think, what you teach, what your theology, what you believe, and how you think determines how you live. And so here the devil himself wants to take people captive to his thoughts. Then we come to our text in, in chapter 3. Uh, it begins with, uh, but mark this in the NIV translation. NASB says, but realize this. And just keep on realizing this. There will be terrible times in the last days. There will be difficult days. There will be times of hostility, times of confusion, times of danger. But mark this, Timothy. Even though you're to be gentle with people, you're trying to instruct them in the truth, you're trying to help people escape from the devil's thoughts, the devil's way of thinking, there will be terrible times in the last days. And this word terrible... It's actually translated to describe uh, two demon-possessed men in, in Matthew chapter 8, verse 28, as violent, uh, violent men. That they, these demons were violent. They're terrible. They're dangerous. They're troublesome. And so these are our days, Timothy. Uh, the last days are likely refer to the time, of, time that we're in, the period of history that we exist in, the time when Christ first came to the, to the time up to the time that Christ will come again. So between Christ's first advent and his second advent, these are the last days. These are the last days in our period of history. And so there will be terrible times in the last days, Timothy. And so despite having some success with some people, leading them out of the devil's trap by instructing them gently, uh, there will be periods of history, eras and seasons and periods of times in which things will be terrible and very difficult uh, for, for Christian people and Christian ministers. Let's, let's look at uh, verse 2 to see why they're difficult. Uh, verses uh, 2 through verse 5 give us an insight into why the times are so terrible and, and, and difficult for Christian people. Uh, verse 2 says, People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, 
disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power. And here's our first insight in how to respond to counterfeit teachers in the church, that we must realize their counterfeit character. And their character consists here of a, a long list of different sins and different vices. And there are 18 or 19 or 20 uh, different characteristics of, of who they are, how they think, what they desire, and what they do in, in their actions and their words. And so these, this is part of the terrible times that so-called Christian leaders will have uh, lives filled with sin, characterized by these types of sins. And this hurts the church. It hurts the church by their example, and also it hurts the church uh, ultimately by their teaching as well. As as we saw in chapter 2, that that false teaching hurts people. It ruins lives. It makes us uh, more sinful. And so let's look at some of these characteristics in detail. As, as the Lord has put these in the Bible, he wants us to be able to recognize uh, counterfeit teachers. Uh, people will be lovers of themselves. Uh, that's a self-centered type of person. Uh, selfish, uh, narcissistic. Uh, self-love, in fact, may be the foundation of all these different vices and all these different sins that follow it. And so you could see that self-love uh, elevates oneself and leads to selfishness towards others. And so perhaps this is the foundational sin of uh, being lovers of themselves uh, to, to an extent that is inordinate and sinful. And so I think we, we can properly assume that we do love ourselves. And so there's, uh, Jesus said to uh, love your neighbor as yourself. And so that presupposes that we do love ourselves and so we're to treat our neighbor in, in a loving manner as well. And so people naturally do have a love of self, but this type of, of love is, um, is, is characterized by being selfish and self-centered and can lead these to, to these other uh, vices as well. Uh, secondly, uh, counterfeit teachers are lovers of money. And so um, of fondness for money, what money can buy, uh, materialism, uh, greedy for money. Uh, sometimes we suspect that uh, maybe televangelists uh, maybe in the ministry to gain money and to gain wealth for themselves. And so, so sometimes we uh, hear reports of, of different evangelists. They drive expensive cars and, and live in mansions and, and they promote more of a, a health, wealth, and prosperity gospel. And so here a love of money could be an indication of a false teacher. It's kind of funny. The other week I was pumping gas at, at Texaco. <laughs> <laughs> I was just minding my own business, and a car pulled up behind me, and he started pumping. A man got out, and he started pumping his gas as well. And so he said, then out of the blue, I'm minding my own business, and he says, price of oil has gone down lately. <laughs> I kind of look up. I said, yeah, it has. I, I, I heard that too, that uh, oil is coming down in price. And so then we get off, then he starts talking about money. Just uh, his investments in an oil refining company in Arizona and all these different things that he's been investing in. And he's really fascinated and, you know, enthused about money. And so finally, 
I said to him, you know that the Bible talks a lot about money? And then he, he perked up. Like, he it does? He said, it does? <laughs> I said, yeah, the Bible speaks a lot about money. How to earn money. He's like really interested. How to get money. <laughs> and how to use money. He, he said, I said, do you have a Bible? A uh, Christian Bible? He says, he says, I do. He said, do you read it? He said, well, um, I, I said, he said, what books are you talking about? What books in the Bible? I said, well, Proverbs. It has a lot to do with money. Also, uh, Matthew chapter 6 has a lot to do with money, where, where we can love God or we can love money, and, and we, we should seek to love God first. And that kind of turned him off. <laughs> but anyway, it was a good conversation that, that this guy was so uh, preoccupied with earning money and getting more money in his investments that he would talk to a complete stranger at the gas station. And so sometimes false teachers are, are focused on money, too. And so sometimes we, we wonder about their ministry, that they have all this wealth and they solicit money constantly. And so 1 Timothy 6, 9 through 10 says, The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And so you can get yourself in trouble by, by being overly focused and preoccupied upon earning wealth and enjoying wealth. Okay, let's look at verse 2 again. Lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful. Someone who brags, which is the, uh, the you know, uh, proud, which is uh, probably the attitude behind the, behind the bragging. Uh, pride, uh, someone who's arrogant or haughty. Uh, literally, the Greek word is translated showing oneself above others. And so if you're proud, you show yourself above others, you're superior to them in some way. Uh, pride is an attitude of overestimating oneself. And at the same time, since you're so high up there, then other people are down here. So you underestimate others and look down upon others. It's, it's kind of funny that uh, when I was growing up, I think American culture was uh, perhaps t- uh, different 20, 30 years ago, maybe 40 for me. But I, I remember growing up that pride was a bad thing, that you didn't want to boast about uh, who you are or what you did. And it was only about uh, maybe 20, 25 years ago that these bumper stickers started coming out um, from schools and and PTA uh, programs. The bumper stickers usually says, I am the proud parent of an honor roll student at such and such school. And so, you know, at first, because the culture was different in America back then, you know, I thought to myself, well, that's that's kind of a boastful thing to say that my kid is like honor roll and you actually put it on your car and stuff. But then I thought, you know, then I kind of got used to the idea. Well, you know, it's affirming your child and you want to let them know that you're pleased with, you know, how they're doing stuff. But that's an example of how American culture, uh, pride was looked down upon and and humility was esteemed. And so, uh, uh, you know, growing up as a kid, there's not there were uh, a few boys when we played out in the playground who would exalt themselves like we play kickball <laughs> and there's a few boys who are really good in kickball and after they won the game they'd, they'd run around with one or two arms up in the air right but that was kind of unusual back then but now uh, pride and boasting in oneself is is more common and so you see that in football games um, even basketball games things like that where our society is is, is more aggressive and more self-promoting and so these are characteristics of false teachers and characteristics uh, which God actually opposes. He, he 
blesses those who are humble, and he opposes those who are proud. Uh, the list of false teachers continues. Abusive, NIB says, NIV translation says abusive in verse 2. NASB uh, translates that word as revilers. And this translates the Greek word blasphemoi. And so you can almost hear the word blasphemous here. It's evil speaking. If you're abusive verbally, you're evil speaking. Uh, you're slanderous. You use scornful language to injure other people. In other words, you insult them. And so I've been teaching at the uh, Bear Creek School, one of the schools that I teach at. And two of, two of the high school boys were talking about um, an incident that uh, they were in with their dad. And so their dad, the dad and one of the Bear Creek uh, students were, were driving, and they got into some sort of automobile uh, confrontation with another j- uh, driver. And so the boy was explaining how the other driver called his dad a butthead. <laughs> and so this is abusive language. And what the boy was, was saying is that, that this is coming from an adult. The guy was like in his 40s and he was calling my dad, you know, a derogatory term. And he couldn't believe it. He was shocked. And so that's our culture as well, that even adults may use abusive language. Language that you think that junior high kids or high school kids would use towards one another. But adults themselves uh, use abusive language. Uh, recently I was, I was uh, watching... Uh, a program on TV called The Apprentice with uh, Donald Trump. And, and he had an episode where he was using um, abusive language towards the, the, uh, his apprentices that he was evaluating. And that was a little bit shocking to me because before in previous episodes he didn't use that language. And so the uh, boundaries are being stretched within our society. Also false teachers in verse 2 are uh, perhaps disobedient to their parents, uh, shows a lack of respect or rebelliousness, rebelliousness towards their parents. Ungrateful, the opposite of being thankful. Uh, we see in Scripture that thankfulness is a sin. Uh, unthankfulness is a sin. When you turn to Romans chapter 1, one of mankind's uh, prominent sins in Romans 1, when it talks about the depravity of the human race, is a lack of thankfulness towards God, a lack of giving glory to God. And so being unthankful or ungrateful is actually sinful. Uh, unholy is another characteristic of, of a false teacher, perhaps. That describes a person who uh, is profane. Everything is secular, nothing is sacred, uh, irreverent in life. Uh, it can indicate gross immorality, a gross indecency, like heinous uh, sin as well, being unholy. Uh, False teachers may be characterized in verse 3 as without love. Um, The Greek word is a-storge. A, which uh, negates a storge type of love. The storge type of love is family affection, family type of love. Uh, We we have friendship love, we have uh, sexual attraction. And storge love is affection for one's own family. And so uh, false teachers can be characterized as as people without family affections. They don't have uh, compassion upon their children, perhaps, or their spouse. Uh, They're also uh, perhaps unforgiving or irreconcilable, NASB translation. And so irreconcilable, you can't placate them. You can't, uh, they, they're resistant to be uh, reconciled when there's an offense done to them. That perhaps they refuse to reconcile with someone who has uh, hurt them. Uh, slanderous, NSB says uh, malicious gossips. 
Uh, Greek word is diaboloi. That sounds like our word for a devil. And it indicates someone who is prone to slander or accuse others. And so false teachers may delight in spreading rumors about other people to promote themselves. Um, They're known as being without self-control. And so they um, lack self-restraint, especially perhaps in bodily lusts, uh, sexual passions. They don't, uh, they're weak in the sense that they, they're easily led into sin. Uh, also, verse 3, brutal. Uh, literally, the Greek word literally means untamed. Uh, brutal, uh, the opposite of being civilized. They're, uh, they're savage, they're fierce, they attack their enemies, they're untamed. Uh, also, not lovers of the good. Uh, NSB says haters of good. Uh, treacherous. One who is disposed towards betraying a friendship or betraying someone that they should be loyal to. Uh, we can think of Judas who betrayed Jesus for financial gain. Um, verse 4 also says rash uh, or reckless. Uh, this literally someone falling forward or falling headlong into something. They're hasty, they're rash, they're reckless. Uh, conceited, literally puffed up, swollen with self-importance. Someone who is conceited. One commentator said, being conceited is being blinded by pride and being blinded by your own arrogance. You have a higher view of yourself than you ought to. A lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. And so they love uh, sensual pleasure, whether it be food, uh, sex, um, power, perhaps uh, different types of pleasures, rather than being a lover of God. They seek to please themselves rather than, than pleasing God himself. And so these are some characteristics of a false teacher. They have a, verse 5 says, they have a form of godliness, but deny its power. On the outside, they look Christian. On the external uh, language and impression, at first thought, you, you would say that they're a good Christian leader. But the, uh, the word form here pertains to the outward shape a silhouette or a shadow of the reality. And so the Greek word gives us an indication that this is just an appearance, but it's not the real thing. It's only a shadow of uh, godliness because they deny the power of godliness within them. And so they're actually a fake, a phony. They're an imposter. They're a pretender. Uh, Recently in the news, there's uh, been a pastor in Colorado Springs who's... uh, who has been discovered and revealed, and he admits to, that he's been involved for three years with a homosexual prostitute. And this uh, prostitute has also bought him drugs. I, th- I believe it was cocaine to use for, uh, for this period of time. And so this pastor was a, was a preacher. He was the main preacher at a very large church in Colorado. And he's also the president, or he was the past president of a large evangelical association, uh, the National Association for Evangelicals, NAE. And the NAE is is an uh, Christian group which tends, uh, their their aim is to influence lawmakers, people in uh, Washington, D.C., to pass laws that are are God-honoring. And so this pastor actually used to lobby um, government officials um, against homosexuality and at the same time was involved with a homosexual prostitute and using drugs, probably using drugs. Uh, 
And so we don't know if this pastor is a counterfeit teacher. We don't know if he's really a, a danger or a threat uh, because of his teaching or because of his example. But he shares many of the, uh, or some of the characteristics found in our text uh, based upon just what we know um, from news reports. And so as, as, we, as we look back over our list here, we could say that this pastor is a lover of himself, places himself above others. Uh, perhaps he's proud that uh, he thinks that he can oppose homosexuality and still get away with committing homosexual acts. Unholy, uh, perhaps we could say that uh, he, cre- he is uh, creating gross immorality. Uh, without love, without family love, storge love, um, you know, he has betrayed his uh, wife and his family. Um, he's betrayed his family members. Uh, without self-control, he's given in to sensual uh, impulses. Uh, brutal in the sense that he uh, appears uncivilized. Not lover of the good. Uh, treacherous, uh, rash, reckless. <laughs> And he, I mean, you could see that this is a reckless act or a reckless lifestyle. He is a lover of pleasure. And perhaps also he has a form of godliness since he was a pastor. But he denies the power of uh, a godly life that, that, God can, that God can bring. And so he shares some of these characteristics, but it would be necessary for us to really know what he teaches to see if he opposes the truth, what his doctrine is, what uh, his teaching is. We can note again in 2 Timothy 2, 16 through 18, that, that Paul tells Timothy to avoid godless chatter, uh, false teaching, because those who indulge in it will become more and more ungodly. Their teaching will spread like gangrene, and that's a disease that, that cripples, and you need to amputate limbs for that. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus who have wandered away from the truth. They say that the resurrection has already taken place and they destroy the faith of some. And so Timothy, as a true Christian and as a true Christian teacher, must avoid godly chat, godless chatter. That he can't get mixed up in uh, speculations that are unfounded or untrue because that type of teaching affects one's lifestyle. It can be like a disease. It can be a, a dangerous um, entertainment of ideas that, that lead to wandering away from the truth. And so when teachers teach that way, and when they themselves believe that truth and wander away from the, that truth, they can also hurt those who follow them. And so we need to uh, realize the character of counterfeit teachers. We need to be aware that they are present. They're present in the last days. And that these are terrible times. It brings the disgrace upon Christianity. It hurts Christ's name. And we all feel embarrassed when these episodes happen from time to time. But these are the last days. And these are terrible times in which Christ says will occur. And so we, we realize that, we recognize that, and we're prepared for that. Uh, how we respond to counterfeit teachers is found in uh, verse 5. Uh, second part of verse 5. Verse 5 says, Have a form of godliness, but denying its power have nothing to do with them. So how do we deal with counterfeit teachers? We realize their character, and then we reject their influence. We reject their example, their moral moral example. We have nothing to do with how they live. 
We want to turn away from these things and we want to keep ourselves from committing these things because these things can destroy our lives and and destroy other people's lives. And so as I look at this list myself, you know, I fall into these things too. Uh, The different sins, I think, that are common with all of us. We can be proud. We can be gossips. We can be abusive to other people, uh, etc., And so we don't want to be lovers of ourselves, but we want to be lovers of God. We don't want to love our pleasure and love our sin more than we love God himself. And so I can fall into these things and and you can too. And so we need to view our lives through this list. Even though we're a real Christian, even though we're a good Christian teacher or a a fine Christian leader and, and we influence people in a good way, we need to take a look at this list ourselves. Am I a lover of myself? You know, am, I, am I proud? Am I arrogant about what I do? Do I look down on other people because I'm a little bit better or maybe a lot better than other people? Do I, am I a lover of money? This is a characteristic of a counterfeit teacher. You know, is my preoccupation with acquiring more wealth and and checking on, you know, the stock market, that type of thing. You know, to, to a degree, that is a preoccupation, overly focused. Am I boastful? Uh, am I proud? Am I abusive? Do I disobey my parents? Do I have a rebellious attitude towards my parents? Am I ungrateful? You know, or am I a thankful person? I thank God for what I have. I thank God for uh, the gifts that he's given me. Am I unholy? Uh, without love? Unforgiving? Is it hard? Am I a person that's uh, hard to reconcile with? Or do I have to have my way? And if someone hurts me, then I dismiss them as, uh, from a relationship with me. A slanderous. Um, sometimes when I drive my car, maybe I'm slanderous. I might not uh, say slanderous thing to the guy who just cut me off. But perhaps in my, my words in my car, like that, that idiot or something. You know, that's slander. Uh, even if I don't say the words themselves, perhaps I have a slanderous attitude to someone who's driving I don't appreciate. Um, uh, am I without self-control? Uh, certainly all of us can be, be more self-controlled in, in what we do. A brutal, not lovers of good. Treacherous, am I loyal to my relationships? Do I do rash or reckless things? Conceited. Uh, do I love pleasure rather than love God? And so oftentimes our, our sins are because we want to feel good rather than please God. And so as you look at those things, uh, pleasure has a lot to do with motivating our lives. And so as we see ourselves, and Paul tells Timothy, have nothing to do with them. Have nothing to do with that type of lifestyle. Don't follow their example. Don't get caught up in the things that they get caught up in. And so we need to, as Christians to go through that list uh, thoughtfully as well. That we can be influenced by the world. Uh, our world, our culture is changing. And what was proud, uh, considered uh, proud uh, 20 years ago, may be, may be just considered self-affirming and self-esteem today. And so we need to be careful that uh, we direct our lives by what God says rather than what the culture dictates. And thirdly, the third way to deal with counterfeit teachers is to recognize their actions. Let's take a look at verses 6 through 9. Uh, verses 6 through 9 read this way. They are the kind who worm their way into homes and gain control over weak-willed women who are loaded down with sins and are, all, are swayed by all kinds of evil desires. 
always learning but never able to acknowledge the truth. Just as John S. and John Brass opposed Moses, so also these men opposed the truth, men of depraved minds, who as far as the faith is concerned, are rejected. But they will not get very far because, as in the case of those men, their folly will be clear to everyone. And so the third way to respond to counterfeit teachers is to recognize their actions. They worm their way into homes, NIV. And that means that they just have a, a stealthy, a subtle um, way to get into people's lives and get into people's homes. They're deceitful. They come across as, as, as reliable people, but inside they have hidden uh, motives and a hidden agenda. Oftentimes, our false teachers will seek to gain control over women. And here the term is weak-willed women. Not that all women are this way, but there are some women who are gullible or impressionable or who want to believe everything that they're taught. And so these men uh, seek to gain um, control over women and to deceive them and to gain influence in their lives. These women are, are, are characterized as loaded down with sins. In other words, their lives are filled with sins. Perhaps they're desperate to be free from their guilt. And so if a false teacher comes along and gives them some solution to their guilt, maybe these women would follow them. These women are swayed by all kinds of evil desires. They are prone to temptation. They have fleshly lusts. And this may, may uh, give a hint that perhaps they get involved sexually with some of these false teachers. Uh, these women are always learning, but never able to acknowledge the truth. They're open about theology. They're open about spiritual things. And yet they're never able to acknowledge the truth of God's word. They're open to novel ideas, a new fad that comes along. And yet really what they need is the truth of God's word. And as we've seen in, in chapter 2, verse 25, that the t- true teacher of God wants to lead people to a knowledge of the truth so that people can come to their senses and escape from the trap of the devil who have taken them captive to do his will. And so these women have some problems here, and these are the type of people that false teachers um, typically prey on and seek to gain a a foothold in their lives and a foothold within the church, gain a following within the church. And so false teachers, they oppose the truth. Uh, Verse 8, verse 8 reads, Just as John S. and John Bress opposed Moses, so also these men oppose the truth. And John S. and John Bress were, were two people in... Not found in the Old Testament, but they're found in Jewish literature. And so these two people, these two men, were thought to be uh, magicians of Pharaoh during the Exodus, where Pharaoh had his magicians and Moses and Aaron did their miracles uh, to convince Pharaoh to let the, the uh, Jewish people go. And so John S. and John Bress, according to Jewish tradition and Jewish literature, opposed Moses, so also these men opposed the truth. And so uh, John S. and John Bress, perhaps they, according to uh, tradition, they used uh, magical arts and occult power to try to duplicate the miracles that Aaron and Moses were doing. And so when Aaron uh, threw down his staff and it became a snake, they threw down their staff and it became a snake as well. And so perhaps false teachers worked through counterfeit uh, miracles, through... uh, Satanic power, or even uh, deception, and, and, or perhaps uh, some sort of supernatural type uh, looking uh, work as well. 
And so just as John S. and John Brass opposed Moses' soul, also these men opposed the truth. They are, they are men of depraved minds. They're corrupt in their thinking. They have distorted thoughts, who as far as the faith is concerned are rejected. Their faith has been tested and found uh, worthless. They are unfit for spiritual teaching. And so, but their outcome, verse 9, this is an encouragement to Timothy. But they will not get very far because, as in the case of those men, John S. and John Bress, their folly will be clear to everyone. And so here's the encouragement that false teachers are discovered. And they're discovered by their folly, their lives. They're also discovered by their faith, what they teach as well. But here's the Timothy, the encouragement to Timothy, that as bad as things get, Timothy... Uh, these men won't get very far. The true believer, Christians, will be able to see through their lifestyle and see through their teachings, and they will be exposed. So today we've seen how to respond to false teachers, counterfeit uh, Christian leaders. We realize their character. We reject their lifestyle and their example, and we recognize their actions. And here are three observations or three applications for us that we've seen from our, our study today that teaching affects our thinking and thinking affects our character and character affects our lives and our actions. In order to be uh, sanctified, we need to have God's thoughts. We need God to shape and mold our character and we need God to empower our lives so that we will live a life that is holy and uh, honoring to him. So in order to be sanctified or to be more godly, we need to love God more than how loving ourselves. We need to love God more than our pleasure. We need to love God more than our sin. So may we walk today in integrity. We believe the Bible. We believe it's true. And we believe it's good. So we need to walk in integrity and live out what we believe. So let's, uh, let's pray together and we'll close. Dear Heavenly Father, we uh, just come before you again in faith. And we believe that you are the creator of the universe, that you are the cause of everything that we see, and that we are the uh, offspring of your spirit. You've given us physical life and you've given us spiritual life, Father, and, and we thank you for that. We just pray, Father, that uh, we may be people of integrity, that we may be people of holiness, and that we can live a life that will honor you, Lord. And so we pray, Lord, by your power and by your spirit, in response to faith in your word, God, that we can live a life that will honor you. So we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.